As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm joined, as always, by the rock-solid, nothing-gets-past-them pairing of Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas. Hello, guys. Hello. Hi, Ian. That, that's Hi. very kind. Hello. Now, yeah, right. I know. Now we have to work out which one's Rob Holding and which one's David Luiz today. <laughs> oh. No, we don't I have know, to go that way. We don't. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, I should say there are only three of us on the team sheet uh, this evening, uh, this afternoon. But let's face it, it's only six less than Arsenal ended with last night. Yes, we're recording this the morning after the crazy events at Molyneux where we went from cruising to bruising in about 15 seconds. We'll talk about some of the stranger aspects of the game. But before we do, uh, we had a lot of discussions this week about where the club is headed and our feelings about how it's going. And they all came down to having to be patient. So we thought we'd loosely base this week's pod around the subject of patience. Now, before we get into the main discussion, we have seen some green shoots with Pepe. Uh, We were going to talk about patience in general, but first we were wondering, which players have you made a snap judgment about only to be proven wrong? Uh, Amy, I'll start with you. See, the thing about this question is you're assuming that we will take snap judgments. Um... You know, you never made like a snap judgment. Time. Some of us <laughs> like to like like to give people the benefit of the doubt before diving in two footed. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, g- generally speaking, if if Arsenal have a new player, uh, I, I try uh, to think the best of them until proven otherwise. Um, but let's just think. I, I did. I did go kind of uh, rewinding quite considerably to the summer of nineteen ninety for this when um because i was struggling i kept thinking of players and thinking well i didn't really think they were that bad to start with and then and then suddenly think they were good because uh anyway um 1990 arsenal um uh, went out and signed uh three players uh david seaman came in quite big news and quite controversial because at the time uh john lukic who had been the goalkeeper for a while was really very popular and most Arsenal fans, it wasn't necessarily a snap judgment, but it was more that they didn't really want him. They just didn't really see why Arsenal went and I think broke the record at the time for a goalie, more or less. It was over a million Why do we need a goalkeeper when we've just won the title, is essentially? Well, yeah. we'd won the title in 89, exactly, and and, did, and w- w- would win it again the following season, not that we knew, but it was a good period. And people were a bit like, well, what would we change the goalie for? Um so there was a bit of negativity around him. Uh, and of course, by the end of the season, he conceded 18 goals only in a title winning season. And uh, that was that was very, very close to the all time record, I think, for goals conceded in uh, English football um, over a season. And one of the other guys who came, Anders Limpar also came and we were all very excited that Arsenal had signed someone foreign. That was very exotic and exciting. So people didn't really know enough about him to make snap judgments. And he was brilliant. And the third member of this gang who arrived that summer was Andy Linnigan, who, again, people, when you when you're brought up on a diet of 
Tony Adams and Steve Bold and David O'Leary, people put their nose up a little bit at Andy Linegan, didn't really uh, give him, uh, cut him too much slack. Uh, it was a big centre-half, came from Norwich. Obviously, given the centre-halves at the club, found it not that easy to get into the team or get a run of form. Um, but it showed the value, and I think a few people ate words, and certainly the Arsenal uh, team wanted to make sure that people had a different view of him when he incredibly courageously, having had his nose smashed into bits during the FA Cup final replay, um, scored a, a last-minute header to win the, the Cup for Arsenal. So I think a few people changed their tune for that. I believe they did. Uh, James, as opposed to the saintly Mother Teresa-like patience... <laughs> Of uh, <laughs> of Amy Lawrence, I'm imagining you have made one or two snap judgments. Yeah, I'm trying to think which players I haven't been wrong about. To be honest, um, I mean, I, a really obvious one that stands out is uh, is Alex Song, and it was a real snap judgment because it was one game, and I remember him playing away at Fulham. I think he was only 17, 18 years old, but just looking. So out of his depth in every respect, um, but particularly technically, that it was kind of difficult to foresee him ever having any sort of future at Arsenal. I mean, he really did look a million miles away at that point. And within just a few years, um, you know, he became not just a first team player, but a player who ended up moving to, to Barcelona in the new Camp, which... I would never have predicted at that time. So he, he was definitely up there for me. And it, it seemed, might seem a bit harsh because he was so young, but really he had just had an absolute nightmare of a game. And it was one of those where you sort of end up feeling a little bit sorry for the bloke. But another one that um, one of our listeners suggested, Joshua Fowler sent in, which I also uh, would have mentioned. He said, hi, guys. While I'm still in my anger decompression chamber after the Wolves game, <laughs> I thought it might be therapeutic to think back to when I was proved wrong by Laurent Koscielny. His first season was a little newborn horsey. He was lightweight, error-prone and seemed to single-handedly cost us games. Let's not forget the cup final against Birmingham early in his Arsenal days. But what a commanding presence he turned out to be. Those moments where he would charge across to cut off an advancing forward with a big, strong slide tackle. Textbook Lolo. He didn't get the respect he deserved outside the club, I often feel, though he was lauded by Lukaku a few years back as the toughest defender he'd faced. He became a great, and although his last moments weren't ideal, kicking the ball into his own face to let Atletico equalise, he will remain a guy who had a shaky start and became captain. I still miss you, Lolo. Uh, don't we all? But no, that I, I remember thinking sort of early on in Koscielny's uh, time with the club, he was very impetuous and one of those players who seemed to give away quite a few penalties, get himself sent off. And he really did go on to become an outstanding central defender at Arsenal. From Lolo to Colo, there's another nice uh, suggestion from FIFA Dad, who said, Colo, he just ran around in any position. A year later, he was the best centre-back in the land. Um, that's a great shout, and I think a lot of us remember this uh, slightly crazed guy who was running around as if uh, constantly trying to m make an impression. Um, and then all of a sudden, Arsene stuck him at centre-back. He'd never been a centre-back before that anybody could remember. And uh, his partnership with Sol became the cornerstone of uh, in Invincible's defence. So that's a, a, a really lovely memory of a player who... I don't think anyone was sure quite what he was to start with, including Arsene, and he turned out to be a superb player for the club. And other Part teams. of a defence, aside from the Invincibles, also part of a defence that kept 10 clean sheets in the Champions League. Um, you know, a, a really an outstanding defender. Um, there's been a couple uh, talking about uh, Aaron Ramsey as well. Joe Buckle said post-injury in the 11-12 and 12-13 season, he, he really struggled. And where I sit in the East Lower, he was often a bit of a lightning rod, where we sit as well, Joe, to be fair. Uh, it looked like the injury had ruined his career, but then the 13-14 season, he was our best player by a mile. And the two cup final winners make him our player of the decade for the 2010s in my book. Thank you, Joe. And Cesar Gonzalez said... Um, Aaron Ramsey really frustrated me at the beginning of his career. I think mostly because Wenger played him all over the pitch and never stuck to his proper role. And he was very inconsistent. It wasn't until late Wenger and Unai Emery that he was allowed to play in his best position. And he had matured as a player that I understood how good he was. By the time he showed Spurs whose 
fucking pitch it was at Wembley, <laughs> says Cesar. I wanted to marry him. Great show, guys. Much love from Puerto Rico. Well, much love going back to Puerto Rico uh, as well. From my point of view, um, I was thinking about this. It's also, by the way, from good to bad as well, isn't it, really? Because before yeah, Petr Cech arrived, from, before Petr Cech arrived, who was our only signing in that transfer window as far as i remember i genuinely thought that might be the final piece in the jigsaw because i thought well he is a step up in terms of goalkeeping and then he messed up against west ham i think i was in edinburgh for the festival that year and i watched it with my son and we thought "Uh oh and then when we were at home in the next game we're trying to play the ball out of defense and uh, he almost kicked it in his own net it didn't really get a lot better than that did it? it wasn't terrible but it wasn't what i was hoping for he was definitely one for me uh, although I have massive respect for him as a player, I just don't think we saw the best of him at Arsenal. And uh, Gilberto Silva was the one, from my point of view, and I used to sit with, at Arsenal with a guy called Sean, mate of mine, who used to moan a lot about Gilberto Silva. He's Brazilian. Ours is touch so bad. He's Brazilian. <laughs> but it was only when he wasn't in the team and you went, oh, actually, we're a lot better with him in the team. But I don't think it was readily apparent. Uh, straight away, uh, so um, I'd like a bit of a shout for for, uh, for Gilberto Silva. There, one or two others. Uh, by the way, Tayo, our producer, did say Andy Lineken used to drive a van, saying average player, excellent plumber. Good on him. Good on him. Still we appreciate the goals. Still does. Good. Hopefully, it's another van from the one from 1993 or whatever. Uh, by the way, <laughs> right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features some very best football writers around as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts for less than one pound a week just go to theathletic.com forward slash arsenal pod to sign up and enjoy the athletic throughout 2021 that's theathletic.com forward slash arsenal pod looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. So, as I said, we're recording this a night, uh, the morning after uh, Arsenal lost 2-1 to Wolves uh, in a game that we could easily have won by four. Um, if anything, by the way, shows the need for patience. It's uh, it's what happened last night. Um, James, I-, I just want to start with you. I-, I know how incensed you were about the sending off, um, or the first sending off, the David Luiz send- sending off. But it wasn't so much that the referee couldn't do anything. It's The rules are ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, in this situation, I think the law the law is an ass, right? I mean, it's it's ridiculous that if Louise lunges in and makes an attempted tackle, or you know, it can be seen to be trying to play the ball, he will only receive a booking. Um, yes. And I, you know, the law states that if there's no attempt to play the ball, it's a straight red card. That's obviously intended for scenarios where there's something purely cynical going on. You know, a guy takes someone out with the ball's nowhere near it. Uh, it's not intended for a scenario like this where Louise is, I think, probably actively trying to stay out the way. I mean, you know, in the past... You don't know that, people... though, do you, James? You don't know <laughs> no. that, and this is the point. You're, now, you're laughing, Amy, but I'm just saying you can't I base know. rules around around what is or isn't a player's intent, can you? Surely you can um, have a, an a opinion about what might be accidental. That's not about intent that's something slightly different well we apply it to We're not saying david louise intended or didn't intend to make have any kind of contact with the player going through but it's pretty obvious that that contact was accidental contact 
I suppose what, what I would say is that yeah, to to much. Well, I think inevitably you make an interpretation based on someone's body language, the way they move, um, and you there may be bias in that. And of course, you are guessing at intent. You don't know. All I'm saying is stepping back from that, any player in any situation, David Luiz, anybody else, for me personally, I think it's ridiculous that that warrants a red card. A lot of people felt the same way. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean, to a certain extent, we've only got ourselves to blame. We sort of switched off because we thought it was going to be half time and suddenly Pedence found himself in quite a lot of space and put the forward through. And by the way, and what I would say, if I was a defender, and I was going to try and do something like that, and I knew I couldn't get anywhere near the ball, I would try and make it look like an accident as well. I'm not saying that's what David Luiz did. I think it was accidental as well. But you know what? It happens to him quite a lot, doesn't it, Amy? Yeah, and that was um, part of the, I suppose, analysis that got people riled up. Um, on the TV, there was uh, some expertise if you can call it that from Peter Walton where he started giving his opinion about the situation and then was a bit like well it's David Luiz isn't it and I'm not sure that you should be thinking like that if you're a referee you should be judging an incident each time afresh and not according to who it is or what their history might be no. um there's, if that's an unconscious bias you shouldn't really be bringing that into your decision making so I thought Peter Walton didn't cover himself in glory with that and to an extent Martin Keown who was co-commentating carried on that line of thinking um yes he shouldn't again, have made the challenge un- he didn't make uncomfortable with all this cycle he's got to learn he's got to learn i mean um look I, i'm more interested i suppose um you know we talk a lot about david louise and it was it only last week where we were expressing our surprise and intrigue that there seemed to be a sway in opinion about whether or not he would be offered a new contract his current deal expires in the summer. And it's kind of maybe typical of the David Luiz phenomenon that it lurches a lot from uh, different emotions, <laughs> one side to the does. other. Well, it does, doesn't it? And that's the nature yes. of how he plays the game. And so one week people are singing his praises and he's man of the match. And uh, uh, there's a lot of positivity about him. And people are suddenly asking the question, is, it, is that uh, a decision that would be sensible for Arsenal rather than looking elsewhere to offer him another year. Um, and then a few days later, it, it sort of lurches back to the, is it really the case that Arsenal's going to be in a year's time sitting watching David Luiz do the same stuff uh, where there's penalties or there's red cards or whatever, accidents or errors that are costly? And I don't know what, if you were betting, would you bet David Luiz was going to be an Arsenal player next year? Right now, today. James? Uh, uh, No, I don't think he will. And I was thinking just then as Amy was talking about David Luiz, his style of play and the type of defender he is, you know, the way the game is going, the way the game is being officiated, the way the level of scrutiny that VAR provides, it doesn't really (laughs) work for him. Do you know what I mean? I mean, he's not the guy. He's not benefiting from the way the game is going. And I think Arsenal shouldn't commit themselves to him in the longer term. I think I think the deal, the two years that he's done, it's had a bit of a roller coaster effect, you know, highs and lows. I think for the most part, he's he's for the most part, he's played pretty well. But I don't think there's justification to extend it. When you look at how many defenders have gone out the door recently, um, I I just wonder whether there will be an argument internally. So I certainly expect it to be part of the discussions and they'll come to a conclusion, but whether they think, look, it's no transfer fee, it's another year, um, given the amount of centre-halves who have left in terms of Socrates, Mustafi, and then there's a couple on loan and we just don't really know the, the situation in terms of who's coming back and what have you and whether they'd be trusted to go straight into the team. I think it might be a, a more um, a complicated dilemma than perhaps it feels like from the outside looking in. I can see how people will make a case for it if they wish to. Well, I mean, we've been here before, haven't we? You know, uh, at the start of, uh, when, when was it? During Project Restart and Louise's contract was due to expire and there was the question of if the second year would be triggered and ultimately Arsenal were in a bit of a corner at that time um, with a few injuries and defensive problems they, they decided to do it 
Um, I don't know. I mean, what do you think, Ian? Would you give him a new contract? Well, he's just been sent off, so this is the time for Arsenal to give him a new contract, right? Because that's how we usually work. Um, sure. The other sending off, by the way, um, was absolutely nuts, of course, uh, Burnt Leno, yeah. and could have could give us more serious issues for Saturday when we play uh, Aston Villa. We had a tweet, by the way, from Nick Escow, at Nick Escow. So we play Emmy Martinez's Villa with uh, with uh, Alex Runison in goal and Arthur Okonkwo on the bench. Whoever is writing this is leaning a bit too heavy on the karma lever. Um, I mean, James, we will get into Burnt Leno a little bit more because I know you've written a piece about him uh, and about Emmy Martinez. Uh, he did make an absolutely fantastic save against Manchester United uh, that kept, Fred, uh, kept it a nil-nil. Um, I actually thought, aside from a slightly wayward pass that went for a corner I thought Runnison mm. uh, did pretty well um, one thing I would add as well Arthur Okonkwo is on the bench um, my son used to play uh, football with him when he was nine and he was absolutely outstanding if he's made the same progress from there uh, as he looked like he was going to I wouldn't have any worries about him but Alex Runnison against Villa James um, yeah is that a worry because they're going to be peppering shots at that goal right yeah, I mean, I think Arthur Okonkwo was at Wolves last night. He's been with the first team in training and he's been travelling with them a little bit too. Um, and, you know, he's been doing really well. He missed a lot of football last season. He had some health problems. Um, but he's back and he's they really rate him. They really like him. I think at 19, it's probably too much to, for, to ask to throw him into the Premier League as a goalkeeper. I can't remember too many goalkeepers playing at that age in the Premier League before. I mean, Arsenal do no. have Matt Ryan, of course, who they've if signed on for Brighton, if he's fit. Uh, and I'm sure they'll be working hard to try and get him out there, uh, simply because he's a guy with Premier League experience. I agree with you. You know, Renarsson did, apart from that one aberration, that back pass that ended up going behind. Um he did pretty well and made a couple of saves and I think it would have been good for his confidence. Took a decent free kick as well at the very end. Uh, <laughs> he did look absolutely panicked at the prospect of doing yeah. so. Though. <laughs> he did a little I, bit. I agree. But it was okay. It was like, and I was, <laughs> I was worried about it as well, to be honest, but it was a decent enough ball. Um, listen, if he has to play, so be it. I mean, he was very poor, wasn't he, in that League Cup game against Man City, but we do have to remember he is a guy who has played... 100 senior games at various clubs. He's got seven caps for Iceland who are, you know, no joke of an international team. So he can, you'd like to think, show better than he has shown to date in an Arsenal shirt. But personally, uh, I'm hoping that we'll see Matt Ryan against Villa at the weekend. Just on Matt Ryan, um, uh, he's got a sore hip. Uh, I'm just wondering how many painkilling injections are too many. <laughs> yeah, well, we may be about what to it, find out. Okay, okay, we'll we'll see. One other thing before we move on to what we were going to talk about, which is patience. Um, getting a draw at Manchester United with uh, three of our best players not playing, and then the first forty-four minutes, which I know it's easy to forget, were I think the best forty-four minutes we've played for the whole season. Um. There were in encouraging and positive signs. Even with nine, by the way, we had a couple of shots on goal. Amy? Yeah, and I think, in a sense, um, for all the sort of uh, angst about the way uh, the game ended up at Wolves and the injustice and the feelings of um, neurosis about the decisions, uh, I do think it's important to try and keep some perspective about the path that the team seems to be on. And I think if you put that first 44 or so minutes together with, say, the performance away at Southampton, um, particularly away matches where it feels like Arsenal have an energy about them and a positivity uh, and a bit more of a plan uh, and are much less scared, we'd become so accustomed, I think, in the perhaps latter Wenger era and it dragged on a bit. I've found going away from home and just, you know, really not showing up and having quite a defeatist uh, vibe within the team, I think, was really tiresome. So to be able to be going to quite difficult away matches and playing really positive, uh, high-speed football that could have easily yielded a few more goals than they did. Pepe's goal was terrific. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, we haven't really talked that much about it, but he's 
put in increasingly confident and effective performances since he's getting a run in the team. And you know, I hope that continues for him because I think only then will anybody really get a true idea of what he's capable of in the Premier League. And and it does feel like it's been a long time coming for he, him to be trusted to have start after start after start, more or less, uh, for a little while. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think overall, it does feel like there's something going in the right direction. And the fact that it was sort of freakish the way it turned, and I still think that Leno's sending off probably wouldn't have happened had the David Luiz sending off not happened first. I'm pretty sure his slight rush of blood to the head, it was quite uncharacteristic for him, was a, um, a product of the, the intensity of the situation where it's like you're down to 10 men, there's some kind of, you know, a combination of we can't concede another goal and can we possibly get back up there and get in the game? Led him to act in a way he wouldn't normally, combined with the fact that the the looked like the, he felt he had a different capacity to control the ball and it came skidding off the surface at him and he maybe had to readjust and it all happened instinctively. I, I don't think that that's a, a normally the way that he would play. Um, so it felt like everything just just went horrible in that match. And in a way, sometimes those situations are easier to put in the bin than, you know, you're absolutely rubbish against Burnley at home and they win 1-0 and there's nothing positive that you can take from the game, really. And you've been playing very poorly for a while, which is what where Arsenal were a few weeks ago. Uh, Arsenal are in a much better place and I do feel that the combination of the the patches of real high-quality football um, combined with the changes that have been made in the squad, where Arteta was desperate to have a much more together feeling where everybody could be involved a lot more and feel closer to that action and more more playing for each other and, uh, you know, all the things that come with having a realistic squad size. It's good stuff. So I don't really want to take too much uh badness from what happened against Wolves. No, let's uh, let's not dwell on it any longer. I want to talk a little bit about patience. Um, I think we have shown quite a lot of patience, haven't we? We were going through, you mentioned the Burnley game. I was at that game. It was grim from start to finish. Uh, it really, really was. Um, especially to see them celebrating right in front of me. Oh, my God. I just It was awful. Ashley Barnes looking happy. It's not something I ever want to see. Um <laughs> Uh, James, um, let's talk about the club position first. Uh, Arsenal fans are not known uh, for patience, but how would you read the temperature at the moment among the fan base? Putting aside yesterday. I think people are really encouraged, actually, by what they're seeing on the field. I think that there's a team there that fans can get behind, can invest in, they can admire and be excited about. I think that's partly because of the personnel involved. You know, there's been a big turnover in personnel in the January transfer window and now we're seeing these young players, because Saka, Emil Smith-Rowe, becoming absolutely central to this team. But I also think it's because of the type of football we're now playing. And, you know, we had a contribution from a listener at the start talking about Granit Xhaka. He's a great example of a player whose fortunes whose perception among Arsenal fans seems to be shifting, shall we say, because he's playing in different fashion. He's being much more aggressive with his passing, much more direct, much more vertical. And, you know, I, I feel like people will kind of compartmentalise this result to an extent because of that first 44 minutes and because they can see a team that's very much headed in the right direction. And I, I actually think... I think if Arsenal stay at 10 men, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they'd got something from the Wolves game because no. I just still think they, you know, they had the potential to cause a threat. And I don't see this result kind of destabilising Arsenal hugely for the trip to Aston Villa at the weekend. I think if anything, you know, that slight sense of injustice uh, and that kind of, you know, anger at the officiating is something that can be really harnessed by a manager. It's something that... You know, Arsene Wenger, of course, did brilliantly. Martin Keir mentioned it on commentary in the 97-98 season. And I do wonder if like, it, it may just fuel this team because I do think there's a sense of everybody pulling in the, in the right direction now for the manager. And, and patience has been shown. You're right. It was a terrible run Arsenal were on. And if Mikel Arteta was Chelsea manager, I don't think he'd be in a job anymore. No. No, I mean, interestingly enough, you mentioned Chelsea. Uh, I was thinking if, if Mikel Arteta hadn't got a result against Chelsea... I mean, you got the feeling the board and the hierarchy wanted him to stay, but all bad results around that time, their hand might have been forced, Amy. 
Maybe. I, I, I think it would have needed more than just a Chelsea game from uh, um, the point of view of the board to really turn things around. I think it would have had to continue a while longer than that. Uh, they really have put uh, a lot of eggs in the Arteta basket and I think they are going to back him more, to be honest. Um, so I sense they would have held firm unless things had continued on a downward spiral for maybe another month or so but as it happened it turned around which is of course very convenient and backs their judgment it does um, but you're right in that different circle you know arsenal are trying to um i don't think they want to get into that scenario of hiring and firing apart from anything else it's quite expensive if you have to keep paying off managers and their staff each you know 18 months or whatever it might be it's not a cheap exercise uh, and Arsenal are not currently uh, awash with a lot of disposable income. So even from a, a purely sort of te- uh, practical point of view, I think it's something that they want to, don't want to do ne- or never wanted to do. Never mind um, the fact that they think they feel very invested in trying to make things work for Arteta. This this feels, James, though, like a, like a more high-risk strategy in a way, not in terms of money. I mean, I've seen... Got a lot of Chelsea mates, and they were a bit upset about Frank Lampard getting the sack. He's a legend, yeah. and all the rest of it. Chelsea have always done this. They give it eighteen months. If it's not working out, they sack a manager, get a new one. Doesn't matter who they are, and their record of trophies since two thousand and three works for them. I would rather that Arsenal did it the way we're trying to do it now. But how long do you wait? That's a really good question because it does work at Chelsea. That's the thing. I mean, the short term thinking there does seem to produce results. I think the point Amy makes about cost and finance and the do yes. you know, if you bring in a new manager, not only are you paying off a manager, paying off all his staff, hiring all his new staff, invariably that manager arrives with a certain list of requirements in the transfer market too. You know, ideally I, I need a new central midfielder, I need a winger, I need a goalkeeper, whatever it might be. You know, very quickly you can be in the hundreds of millions. And for Chelsea that's not a problem. For Arsenal, it is. And when you look at what Arsenal are trying to do as well, you know, they've got this generation of young players that they're trying to develop, to build into the team. I think invariably you need someone who's got a kind of mid to long term commitment to really see that project through. If a manager's only going to be there 12 months, he's going to default to more experienced players. And that's actually. But this not is what we were talking this is what we were talking about last week with Edu, right? Yeah. And, and the whole the idea of the director of football, that is their yeah. job, the longer term yeah. view. Very true, yeah. I mean, that's, that is Edu's responsibility. But I think it's quite clear, isn't it, that Edu and Mikel Arteta are working pretty much, you know, step by step, side by side, rather, in, in tandem. And I think uh, that they're both committed to this. I, I Look, my inclination is to sort of feel the same as you. I kind of, I like the idea of the project. I like the idea of yeah. committing to a plan and trying to see that through. Maybe that's the just because... young players. Yeah, and I've been reared on on uh, very few Arsenal managers. I'm used to seeing relatively long tenures at the club for a guy at the top. But it, it, it is interesting comparing it to that Chelsea model and weighing it against each other. I just feel Arsenal, in their circumstances, they need this to work, really. They need to take more of a long view on things. And, and, and I think, in fact, quite how bad that run was in the first half of the season. One of the benefits of that is... Coming into the second half of the season, I do wonder if people might be slightly more philosophical about the results that don't go our way in the Premier League because yes. our position, such as it is, is kind of, you know, it's neither here nor there, really. I mean, I know some people are looking upwards in the table, but personally, I'm not really. I'm just sort of looking ahead at the development of the team, first and foremost. I mean, Amy, I, I've, I've discussed this many times with my son, who did think that uh, top four was absolutely doable but i said to him if we win eight out of the next 10 then i'll genuinely believe it whereas last night when it all happened i did think they have got a decent shot in the europa league (laughs) and that's i still feel that maybe but i think it's it's a lot of good teams in the europa league this year it's still quite a difficult competition to win um and uh, you know it's it's hard to, to put too much hope on that going for you but obviously I think that's uh, the most practical thing uh, at the moment in fact 
There was a guy called uh, Chicago Guna on Twitter. Uh, he's at JC underscore AFC, who put together a really interesting thread the other day. This was before the game against Wolves. So the, the, the facts are not quite accurate, but it gives you a very, very good idea. He made a case in this thread for how, what you were saying, people looking up and thinking Arsenal would get top four, how unlikely it would be. And this is it. So he says, over the previous 10 Premier League seasons, the team finishing in fourth position finished with an average of 71.3 points. Arsenal currently sit with just 31 points out of 22 games. Now That's now 31 out of 22, obviously. That means that over the remaining 17 Premier League fixtures, Arsenal will need 39 points to reach the 70-point barrier, or 2.3 points per game. That's the equivalent of an 87-point full season. That is a tall task for a team sitting ninth in the table at the time of this tweet, especially when you consider that the first place Man City have only accrued 2.2 points per game this season. So Arsenal would have had to better that for the remainder of the season to try and finish in what's expected for fourth place. Um, in terms of results, what that would mean is that Arsenal need to rack up 11 wins, six draws and zero losses in their remaining games to hit the required number of points. Now, of course, they've already <laughs> lost one. So I, I hate to be <laughs> sort of like <laughs> negative, but I think, yeah, statistically, he makes a, a, a good case for um, trying to be a bit more patient and realistic about what this season represents. And there it's it's been so mixed it's been an emotional tricky weird kind of a ride uh but there are a lot of good things happening um and i and everybody wants success tomorrow and that's fine but i i think that it just having as really promising and encouraging a season in the weeks and months ahead I remember the 91-92 season, I think it was. Um, Arsenal had just won the league and then they were absolutely rubbish in the first half of the following season and, and quite well out of any kind of title challenge. It was a little bit embarrassing. And then they signed Ian Wright and they had this ridiculous forward line of Wright, Campbell, Alan Smith, Merson, uh, Limpard. They were, like, it was a fantastic array of attacking talent at the club at the time. And they began to smash everyone from sort of January onwards. Uh, there were some amazing high scoring performances and the team sort of let the shackles off and played with joy and freedom and expressed themselves. And the pressure was sort of off because they weren't really in it. And and in the end, they were so good that I remember the commentator on one of the games towards the end saying, oh, if there was a few more games of this season, Arsenal would definitely win it. Because they started climbing and climbing and climbing up the table, being brilliant because they weren't going to get there. Because everyone knew it was too much damage had been done. And in a way, I think that would be a, a something for this current team to aspire to. You know, they're not the real deal yet. They're still bits of the team that you'd like to maybe upgrade or improve. There's, some of them are still finding their way, quite new to it all. We haven't seen anything of Odegaard. Party's still finding his feet. He's showing lots of really interesting bits and pieces, but you still feel that there's so much more when he feels totally at home and the players can instinctively uh, be on his wavelength and vice versa. Um, so, you know, I, I, I just think... Let's try and enjoy what's ahead without putting too much pressure on anyone. Yes. And yes. and have a hopefully have a really good summer. It's a big summer. There's tons to do. And try and go again with a much more focused, serious, um, competitive capacity next season. Hi, I'm James McNicholas, and I'm here to tell you about the latest series of Beyond the Headline, the making of Big Sam. If I did anything wrong, why did they pay me off? You see, Sam Allardyce seemingly can't quit English football, and English football can't quit him. But why? Why does football keep coming back to Sam Allardyce? To answer those questions and many more, you'll hear from former Hull City manager Phil Brown. He didn't mind having a crack, he didn't mind having the banter, but he would, he would prove his way was the right way. Dundee United manager Mickey Mellon. I signed for Sam Allardyce, really. And of course, Father Joe Young, owner of Limerick FC, where the Big Sam story began. Now I said, Sam, this is the ultimate goal. Now I'll show you what we have. 
Then I brought him up and he said, Jesus, Father Joe, are you serious? I said, look, nothing is impossible to those who believe. You'll learn about his time in America at the Tampa Bay Rowdies, the way he revolutionised English football, and of course, the England debacle. You can hear it all now and ad-free via the Athletic app. Just search for Beyond the Headline now. We better bit uh, with the handbrake at time. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Stone here with James McNicholas and Amy Lawrence. Um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the pieces that you've written for The Athletic this week. James, I'll start with you. Um, putting aside oh, no. Bert Leno's <laughs> r- a little rush of blood to the head. Um, yeah. I mean, I mentioned it beforehand, that save from Fred. Uh, last weekend was just a truly outstanding save and he has been so solid I I would like to put the Emmy Martinez uh, uh, thing to bed now really wouldn't you and that's sort of what the piece was about yeah I think he has put that to bed to be honest I mean I I stand by it you know the piece because he was a real rush of blood to the head against uh, Wolves and obviously I felt like I'd absolutely jinxed him there but he has had a pretty outstanding season. He's had a pretty outstanding two seasons, really. You know, if you if you take the the injury out of it, I mean, I think we forget when he went down with that knee problem quite how big a blow it was to Arsenal and how concerned we were about being without him. You know, talking about trying to have to buy a goalkeeper in the in the transfer market because Emmy Martinez wasn't going to be up to it. And of course, Martinez came in, got himself his move, and to be honest, he's having another brilliant season at Aston Villa you know if you speak to anyone who watches Villa regularly they'll tell you he has been superb but I think you know they're just two very good goalkeepers Uh, and Arsenal have a really 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 strong goalkeeper in Leno I know it might not feel like it this morning in the light of that red card but he he listen he's been fantastic and you're, you're right to point out the save against United I just thought that was a really really stunning piece of athleticism and I what I like about Leno as well is Again, it slightly sits at odds with what we saw with him the other night. But he, he his personality seems so unflappable, you know. And, and when he does make a mistake, and he has made mistakes previously, I remember a couple of high-profile errors, they never seem to worry him. He never seems to come back looking shaky. He never seems to come back lacking in confidence. He has that skill, which I think goalkeepers absolutely have to have, where he can sort of put away the errors in a draw and just focus on the next game. And I think, you know, he'll be back in this Arsenal team after the next game. And I think we'll see Leno as good as we've seen all season long because he just has that psychological facility. And I think it's a huge, huge part of why he's such an effective player for us. I mean, one of the one of the people in the uh, piece uh, that James wrote that talked about uh, Bernd Leno was Jens Lehmann. Uh, Amy was very, very um, complimentary about his goalkeeping and what he's done at Arsenal. Uh, a German goalkeeper at that, if that makes any difference, has uh, has basically been incredibly complimentary about our current goalkeeper. And I think if anyone knows about goalkeeping, it's Jens. But what I like as well about that is that what James is just talking about, that skill of being able to take a, a you know, being unflappable and calm. And if you have a mistake or bad moment, you can just put it away. Um, you know, that's just Jens was the total opposite in a way. <laughs> Yeah. Good old Yen, so full of emotion and fire. Um, a totally different kind of character, but yeah, a, a, a great goalkeeper who did great things for the club. I think that overall, um, yeah, a, a talking today, I don't think has much impact as far as I'm concerned no. on 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 no. on Leno. And I think he's, if anything, I feel like he's improved a bit this season. And I think he was pretty good last season until he got injured. I, he does seem to be, I think, playing maybe the ball out more quickly um, uh, and a bit more efficiently feels a bit more confident uh, on that front so the only the only question mark that sometimes you feel is is big aerial balls maybe not his strength uh, that kind of command of a penalty area but as a shot stopper and in terms of his communication with his back line maybe it's helping that the back line is better better. lately seems to get on well with Rob Holding in terms of understanding one another he's improved as well and it helps the defence, I think, that they have 
uh, better protection now in front of them. So all those knock-on effects, I think, are helping Arsenal to look more solid. They've also got rid of quite a few of the players that maybe look, made us look less solid in the past. And you wrote a piece, Amy, uh, about the transfers. What was it? The, uh, the Barnick Shears, I think you were talking about in the piece of, <laughs> of Edu. Uh, getting, get, I'm getting rid of that one. I'm getting rid of that one. Um, Mustafi has gone. Uh, Socrates has gone. Kalasinac has gone. We know about Mesut Ozil. A couple went out on loan as well. I mean, it's been very quiet in the transfer market, but Arsenal seem to have done almost all of the business and most of it has been good. Well, I, I just sorry that someone hasn't kind of put together some sort of cartoon Edu as Edward Scissorhands sort of <laughs> with, with hmm. football thing going on because it seemed like all those going uh, deals... Um, I mean, it's very unlike football, unlike Arsenal to just more or less rip up contracts and say, go on, off you go then. Uh, in some cases, paying people to go away. In other cases, waiving uh, fees that they might ordinarily uh, demand or expect. Um, so it's not been a financial move. It's been a psychological move in a way where I think that the the scenario was this bloated squad was almost unmanageable. That was Arteta's own word. And not helpful and getting a group together that would be unified where everybody felt that level of uh, being tuned in uh, being close to being involved that it's the sense of possibility that you have to have if you're a competitor if you feel like you're just not going to play whatever it's probably quite easy to go through the motions and you know maybe the atmosphere around the place is not as tight as it should be so just for Arsenal to have that uh, conviction, really, instead of letting it drag, which always felt like the likeliest thing, almost sitting on your hands and just waiting for it all to go away, they've been more proactive, even if it hasn't led to great financial savings. Um, there's obviously a difference between the, the, that kind of player who's gone who wasn't playing versus the Maitland-Niles and Joe Willock kind of departures, uh, which probably more like Saliba as well, are people going on loan to see how it all goes. And I, I don't know what the plans are for all of those players, whether it's go away, get great experience and show us how good you are for next season, or whether it's possibly with a view to trying to generate a sale in future. Um, it's hard to predict, but but it does leave... I mean, I, you know, this... this very busy period of the January window might have finished, but, you know, realistically, Edu should sort of maybe have one day to catch his breath and then get on with planning because there's so much work ahead in the summer. Sorry, Edu. Um, but there are, by my calculations, and I am atrocious at math, so if I've got this wrong, forgive me, but I, I sussed out that there were 15 players in what you might consider to be a kind of urgent decision-making situation come the summer. Some of them are those players on loan that we mentioned, like Maitland, Niles and Willock and Saliba. Also Torreira and Guendouzi, who still have reasonable time in their contracts and are clearly on loan. Um, some are the group that have a year to go on their contract, so you really need to be making some sort of decision. It's probable that of that group of five, it might be that one or two, either they can't get rid of and they just play out their last year, or they choose to keep and decide that playing out their last year is the best. But really, it should be new contract or bye-bye time if you're being sensible about squad development. Um, and of course, that there's the David Luiz situation as well, where you're out of contract and either it's goodbye or it's another deal to be arranged. So there's a lot on Arsenal's plate in terms of a lot of players to make big calls on that if they're serious about progressing from you know the, the good things that have happened this season or and are happening to take that next step it's about making really smart choices James I mean briefly the squad just seems better balanced now doesn't it yeah I mean I think a lot of that trimming work that went on was overdue to be honest um, and it's there are reasons that it's been difficult and I think I don't think it's going to get easier in terms of selling players for this Arsenal squad. You know, you look around the transfer market in general in January, and not a lot of business was done where fees were involved. I 
I think that will improve in the summer, but I don't think it will improve a huge degree. You know, the financial situation is so uncertain for so many football clubs. Um, but in, in pure numbers terms and in terms of the morale, the players actually feeling involved, part of the project, I think it's really beneficial, the work that Edu's done. And I reflect pretty positively on that window, uh, even if there wasn't a huge amount of money actually coming in. Quite. Uh, let's have a quick game of, uh, we know we've kept you a while, let's have a quick game of Random Arse Generator and we'll do a song after that. Um, now Random Arse Generator, if you haven't heard before, uh, Tayo, our producer, uh, texts me over the name of a player and um, we get facts from uh, Amy and James on that player. Uh, I know in advance, by the way, so I might. it doesn't mean I've got any more facts than I had last week, but I know who the player is. Uh, that player is... Andre Arshavin. James, we'll start with you. Oh, wow. Well, we're recording on the 3rd of February <laughs> and it's uh, the anniversary, of course, of the signing of Andre Arshavin. It was 2009. One of your finest pieces of writing, yeah. James. Yeah, so what was that? 12 years ago today. Um, a yes. fact about Andre Arshavin. Uh, I think he had a degree in fashion design. <laughs> Did he? I think that's I had true. no idea. Yeah. Is that true? Some sort of qualification. Outstanding. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm not sure that's toppable, but Amy, what have you got? Well, I'm feeling a bit put out because James spent about six months working on this Ashwin piece. So it's not really fair, is it? <laughs> this is <laughs> this is this is feeling harsh. I'm just gonna say three words. I am Gunnar. That's what he said <laughs> when he signed. In the snow. It was quite memorable. Barcelona at home. In that game when he scored the uh, the winning goal. Looks for Shavin! Wonderful play from Arsenal. Still my favourite moment so far at the Emirates Stadium when we, we took them on and we beat them. And and the the, the commentary, the R Shavin, and it's and it, just a perfect shot, sending them all the wrong way. It was just perfect. And um, I've never felt like that. I remember going to the pub after the game and, and everyone looked like little kids. Having just, you know, when you first see football and you witness something magical and you go, wow, this is why we do, this is why we love it. And that, for me, was one of the best moments I've ever had watching football was our Shavin scoring that winning goal. I know it all went tits up in the return, but um doesn't matter. That, for me, I, I, I love him for that alone. Uh, I remember his first Arsenal goal very well, which was against Blackburn. Um he was going down the left-hand side, sort of almost along the touchline. I don't know if you remember. And he managed to score from a very acute angle. Shavin's still going. Oh, that's brilliant play. It's absolutely fantastic play. And it's a stunning goal from Andre Shavin. And that definitely is his first goal in an Arsenal shirt. And what a strike to remember. That's what you pay the big money for. Players like our Shavin are difference makers in matches. And how about this for a brilliant piece of individual skill? I think it was Paul Robinson in goal and he sort of lifted it over him into the top of the net. Just a really sensational piece of skill. And actually, James Madison referenced it recently. He scored a very similar goal a few weeks ago in the Premier League. And after the game, the the interviewer said, oh, you know, it was a good finish from you. And he said, well, you know, I remember Andre Arshavin doing it back in 2009 or whatever it was. Uh, I don't know if he was an Arsenal fan as a kid or whatever, but yeah, it was nice to see him uh, be a bit of a connoisseur of Arshavin there. Amy, got another I'm one? I'm going to go for the four goals at Anfield and a fantastic sort of uh, hand-wagging, sort of finger-wagging celebrations. It was absolutely just a bonkers night and he and his goals were just totally stupendous. Tainted for me by the fact that we let in an equaliser. I'm out, by the way. James, you've written an article on it, so I'm going back yeah. to you. Well, actually, about that night, there's a story, I think it was a friend of Andre who told me that after he scored that four goals, he was on the way home and he calls this mate up. He says, oh, did you see my game? He's like, yeah, brilliant, Andre. You scored four goals. And he said, I know. And I played shit. Uh, and that was his opinion. He thought he had a terrible game, did nothing, and yet ended up with four goals. He's probably not wrong, but I mean, it's not a bad way for it to go. Um, no. Yeah, I've got. I've probably got one more memory, actually, that is in there. I don't know if you've got one, Amy. Um, uh, I was just going to mention the Euros in 2008 before he joined, uh, when... He was central to the Russian team who 
were really exciting in that tournament. And that was really when a lot of people um, first took notice of him. And I think that was probably the reason why when he joined, there was quite a lot of excitement. But he was brilliant and he scored a brilliant goal in one in one of those games as well. And it, it was just exciting to see a player that most of us didn't know very well kind of arrive on that sort of stage. And he played with a sort of, um, I don't know, he played with a sense of fun for me that you don't always see in, in football. There's a bit of a devil may care, I'm just going to do what I want. Uh, he always had that maverick vibe about him that... Um, probably sometimes drove his managers crazy and um, maybe was one of the reasons why he wasn't as brilliant as he could have been during his time at Arsenal given his uh, his uh, outstanding technical excellence but yeah it was just um, an enjoyable football moment really where you just sort of thought oh this player is absolutely fantastic he had a really idiosyncratic sense of humour like he <laughs> he um he used to do this thing on his website, I don't know if you remember, where he would kind of answer reader questions and the, the answers would often be like quite surreal. He would go on these sort of long um, written uh, answers which would take on this very kind of strange quality. He, he was a very interesting guy. I agree with Amy, he had a sense of fun. He never seemed to take the game too seriously and he didn't play. And Arsene Wenger said after the game, this was at the time when Arshavin was you know, flying, and he did all this game, and Arsene Wenger said something to the team to see that they could be without him. It was Wenger, Wenger idea. Well, it just could... uh, uh, uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd have to, I'd, I'd have to be, I think it must have been in his first or second season because he was still playing exceptionally well at the time. But it was like mad. He, he didn't play and, yeah. Amy, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to give it to James because he's got an old article's worth out of this. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. I've just got one more thing to throw in there. Go on, then. Uh, uh, he has three children. One of them is called Arseni. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, if you know, I kind of like that, that you, that you have a, uh, you know, you call one of your kids after your manager. Shout out to Ty, our producer, who who pointed out who can forget the period when he was our only option as a lone oh, centre forward as well. Oh yeah, of course. In England, I played only for Arsenal. I'm still gonna. Yeah, James, I think you have to win this one just because you have. Mate. A, a, I mean, I was say, I had a head start a, a like you long said. read piece. <laughs> you did. Let's have a song before we go. Um, James, I'll start with you. What have you got for this week? I thought uh, on the theme of David Luiz, I felt it was a bit unlucky. Uh, there's a song by Khalid called Bad Luck. Uh, and it includes the lyric, because I'm in love with bad luck. I'm in love with bad luck. Move too close, get caught up. And if that isn't what David Luiz did last night, move too close and get caught up, then I don't know what it was. And people only love you when they need it. Oh, well. Lying down, staring at my ceiling fan. Everybody acting like they give a damn Where is everybody when you need a hand? I've been burning rubber on the bishop Flying in the rain like I'm Superman Like it was written about him. What have you got, Amy? <laughs> well, um, originally, uh, partly inspired by, I mean, and who doesn't love a bit of schadenfreude? Uh, when Tottenham went down against uh, Brighton the other day, one of my pals just posted the video of a flock of seagulls and I ran um, uh, and and then of course there's a bit of extra meaning because Bernd Leno ran I ran so far away um, so yeah possibly that but uh, if the theme of the week is patience uh, I'm going to go for the beautiful song by Lloyd Cole and the commotions of that name okay um, I'm going to have um, I'm not doing kids this week by the way just because I got so abused last week i'm having uh, ain't that a kick in the head uh by um dean martin after what happened last night uh because i was so enjoying it up to the 44th minute but you know what it's a temporary blip and onwards um thank you to uh to amy and to james thanks to tayo our producer we have been handbrake off the arsenal podcast brought to you by the athletics stay safe see you soon Thank you.
The Athletic.